welcome to episode 54 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 7th of January 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Happy New Year. And Will. Hello. Yes, Happy New Year. I can't believe it's 2019. Isn't that Blade Runner year or something? Oh, it is, yeah. Los Angeles 2019. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Get the <laughs> synth out. <laughs> uh, Yamaha CS80. <laughs> with polyphonic aftertouch. Thank oh, God. Nice. Uh, right, so we're going to do a bit of news, not that much, and then we're going to get into predictions from a year ago and some new ones. So the biggest news, I think, of the uh, first bit of the year is that the Raspberry Pi Foundation, or maybe Raspberry Pi Trading Limited, we don't know, are joining the RISC-V Foundation. This has got to be good news. For you, fanboy. What, are you saying that I'm a fanboy of RISC-V? Uh, just a tad, yeah. Well, surely everyone is. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is that I've, I've just seen the same as you probably, which is just the tweet from Raspberry Pi saying, um, you know, they look forward to helping out. So it's difficult to say what kind of role they're going to play. So as you have a, uh, well, two sort of back access info sources, tell us all about it. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, it's going to be the next uh, CPU architecture for the Good. next Pi. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Exclusive. Well, that's what everyone's hoping, but um, uh, presumably you do know more than you can say to us. I, I know absolutely nothing. No, I'm useless at this kind of industrial espionage stuff. Um, I really don't know anything. All right. Fair enough. But it would be amazing if it was a RISC-V-based Pi, but I, I don't know. As I said on LAN, I can't see it this year. What do you guys think? Oh, I'd, I'd love to see it as soon as possible. I would love to see the Raspberry Pi be the first um, consumer-focused piece of hardware to have a RISC-V processor in it. I think that would be good for everybody. Do you think that it would maybe make Ubuntu adopt RISC-V as an architecture? I don't know. We'll have to see what Debian are doing there, first of all, I think. And um, I think we'll probably take the, our lead from them. But let's see. Well, by the sounds of the tweet where they say, hoping to contribute to maturing the Linux kernel and Debian port for the world's leading free and open instruction set architecture, you would have thought that they are going to work with Debian to make a solid RISC-V port, at least of the stuff that they need, if not the whole Debian archive, which hopefully would mean that you can get Ubuntu. And you know it won't be long before you get Arch and various other distros if the Raspberry Pi Foundation do ship a Pi with um, RISC-V. But... Um, I don't know. It's it, uh, it seems too good to be true to me that we'll get it sooner rather than later because they're just so expensive, aren't they? Those boards that you can get at the moment. Trying to get that down to thirty-five dollars, how can they do that? I think it's probably if it, if it's anything, it's like a medium-term goal, you know, five to ten years. Because I think that's the way that the Raspberry Pi Foundation likes to think. It's so wedded to its kind of um, <laughs> super smartphone, basically PCB. Um, and I, I'd have thought they'd have made plans for working with that for quite some time. But this is a great way of hedging kind of their future architecture development funds or something like that. That's not very optimistic, Ben. That sounds like um, not even in a year or two. You're thinking more like five years plus. I, I do, yeah. I think, well, for, I mean, maybe you should leave this for the predictions section. But um, yeah, I think the Raspberry Pi Foundation likes to make medium long-term plans and spends a lot of time developing its ideas and its 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 platforms. Um, I don't think it'll be in a rush. Does Eben, etc., still work for Broadcom? Ah, that's a really good question. Because, I don't know, I can't picture, unless Broadcom are going into the uh, RISC-V stuff as well, 
I would find that mm. to be quite an unusual choice to make. Yeah. So for a long time, it was like an honorary position, wasn't it, really? Um, so I don't know. It's, that's a good question. I can't think he is, considering, but I, I don't know. He's never been followed by a white van if he is, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, they've also finally upstreamed the driver for the touchscreen, the official touchscreen, uh, which was going to go into the 4.21 kernel, but that has been renamed to 5.0 rather arbitrarily, as usual. Yeah, I think that's nice. Um, I think it's still quite I mean, slightly different. Um, context is still quite expensive. If you if you look on eBay, for example, you can get like 1080 screens that are like for 15 or 20 pounds. Um, but there must be lots of people using it, especially in schools and in other installations. Yeah, for the resolution, it's um, pretty pricey, isn't it? It hasn't really dropped in price as other screens have. So I don't know, but at least it is officially supported. You know that it's just going to work straight away with Raspberry and you just plug it into the GPIO and the, um, the put the ribbon cable in and it's just going to work. Whereas some of those other screens, yeah. you might be pissed around with drivers and stuff. So I don't know. I can see why people would just go for that, especially in education where they just need it to work. But I suppose with the, the kind of tinkerer, hacker people, they would relish the challenge of trying to get something else working. Yeah, I think you're right. As for this kernel reaching 5.0, I mean, there's not much to say, is there, really? It's just the usual stuff. It's just a, a standard release candidate, and it just happens to have been iterated the major version number. Yeah. So I suppose we have to mention it, but I don't know. Is there anything really of interest in there? Not really. Um, well, I, I suppose it's, it's all interesting. It's all iterative improvements. There's the Raspberry Pi touchscreen. There's more GPU and CPU fixes. Um, AMD are adding support for their FreeSync technology. Um, Intel are adding support for Ice Lake graphics. There's sort of next generation graphics. Um, it all feels very, um, very graphical to me. Looking at the the highlights, there, it's uh, is interesting to see. I wonder if this is in uh, in part because. Uh, hardware vendors like AMD and Intel are seeing growth in AI markets, which are using GPUs um, and possibly even gaming as well um, on on Linux. And so they want to really capitalize on that. Yeah, possibly. I saw the news today that NVIDIA are going to finally support FreeSync, which is uh, quite something, isn't it? It was certainly for some displays. They're going to stop being such proprietary bastards. So that's good. So I suppose, yeah, there is a real growth area there with gaming and I suppose the machine learning as well. But um, it means now that if you ship a distro with a four dot something kernel, it kind of looks bad for you, doesn't it? So it's going to make people think that your distro is really old and shit and out of date. <laughs> if they know what kernel version numbers are, I don't think they're going to be too worried about it. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, nothing to do with Linux. Uh, the other side of the fence Fail him, get your trolling hat on and piss off the BSD people. Go on. Lol. The uh, free BSD patches weren't making it back up to uh, upstream with uh, Alumos, which is quite funny because now they're going to have to use ZFS on Linux. Well, they don't have to, but realistically speaking, there's nothing happening in the other branch. So essentially, ZFS on Linux is the way to go, which is kind of hilarious, especially when... Alan Jude would go on and on about how great you should use FreeBSD for your ZFS. Well, not anymore. For now, anyway. And you use quite a lot of ZFS, don't you, in your work stuff? Yeah, I mean, I didn't use it until fairly recently. Um, 
I mean, per, at home, I, de- I don't use it at all because I don't have ECC memory. Um, but yeah, on, on servers for data storage and stuff, yeah, it, it's quite good. I mean, I don't know. It, Butterfest better? Is ZFS better? They're all kind of not perfect. And there's a lot of cool features going into ZFS now. And the only thing that can be out of this is that it's good because it just means more developers on a unified code base and, you know, not two separate versions that are all getting merged and tested differently and um, apparently on FreeBSD they had this Solaris portability layer that they had to work with because the Lumos guys were building it for a Solaris type system and I don't know all that messing it's nice if you have it as tightly integrated as possible so they are working on all the tests that are required for using the uh, ZFS on Linux stuff and they're going to integrate all that into the building on the FreeBSD side as well so they're all passing each other's tests and stuff so that that's all good so happy families but you just remember linux will crush you eventually no matter what you do <laughs> yeah fuck your permissive licenses gpl for the win eh oh yeah <laughs> um all right uh last news story then is that fedora are planning a per system unique identifier that they're going to um apply to you using dnf and that's going to allow them to count their users so they're going to finally find out exactly how many users they've got they have been using ips but obviously that isn't a perfect way of doing it whereas if each machine has got a unique identifier then they will finally find out how many or how few users that they actually have uh will this sounds a bit familiar doesn't it it does doesn't it i do wonder if what we've done in ubuntu has rather taken the sting out of the tail of this story for um, for the people who want to get it implemented into Fedora. Uh, but the comments that I've been reading today have been the same arguments and the same complaints that we had uh, when we introduced it on on Ubuntu about um, questions about invading privacy and, and things like this. But they have gone to great lengths to explain that they're not invading privacy. Um, and I have to believe this. Privacy in computer terms, would be tracking what you're doing, you know, what websites you're visiting, all that kind of thing. And all they're talking about here is is taking a unique number and collating it together with all the other unique numbers in the way. There's no invasion of privacy as such. Well, as far as I'm concerned, but perhaps I would always say that. I didn't realise that Sousa were already doing this um, and no one seemed to care when they did it. And surely it's better than collecting IPs anyway, because... IPs can actually be linked to a person very, very easily, or at least a location and stuff like that. Whereas if it's just this is one unique machine, they don't necessarily know whether that is a laptop, a desktop, a container, a cloud instance. It's just this is a machine running Fedora, and it is turned on and receiving updates and checking for updates and all the rest of it, and is active. So that seems to me, as long as it's implemented correctly, which you would trust Fedora to do, yeah, I, I just I don't see a problem with it really. But I know a lot of people will have a problem with it, and they'll say, "Oh, are you doing what Ubuntu? You're as bad as Canonical." Herp, derp, derp. But and oh, this is IBM making you do it and all that. But it just seems just overblown to me. Yes, tracking with IP addresses or trying to measure with IP addresses is fraught with problems, as you said. Um, you could have many machines behind. Um, behind a NAT or firewall or something where they all appear to be coming from the same IP address. Um, and conversely, you have, you have the opposite problem where you could have 
lots of IP addresses associated with a relatively small number of machines. If you spin something up in the cloud, yeah, there's a reasonable chance that you're going to get an IP address which has already been used by another machine. Um, so yeah, there are lots of problems. I I genuinely don't think that uh, that it's such an issue. If countless people are putting their time and energy into a free product, I think it's only fair that they get some feedback from their um, their user base about how many people are using their product. If they want to make smart decisions about where they're investing their money, if they want to make smart decisions about how they target their um, their product towards the, the needs of their users, then they need to learn about their users. I think this is fine. And I'm not suggesting that they're going to expand this in future to learn more about what you're doing on your machine. I'm just using that as an example. But what happens if they get these numbers and they're just really, really low and just terrible, and it turns out that hardly anyone's using Fedora? Would IBM and Red Hat just say, hmm, maybe we shouldn't be bothering to invest so much money in it and maybe they'll kind of slim the team down and everything. So it could ultimately be bad news for them if they do implement this. Um, well, I don't know. I'm speaking outside of school here, but I, I don't think they, they're running Fedora as a, you know, a profit center. It's done as a, a technology proving ground and somewhere where they can research and develop their ideas. As far as IBM and as far as Red Hat are concerned, then... Rel is where the the money is, and everything they do in Fedora directly feeds into that. So whether or not people are using it, I don't think really matters. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL, that's for late night Linux, and that will give you $100 credit to get started and 60 days to use it. Now, DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, in data centers all around the world with super fast network and super fast SSDs. And they offer various distros, Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, even FreeBSD, and some container distros, CoreOS, Fedora Atomic, and Raja OS. But you can also use your own custom distribution if you don't want to use one of those. And these droplets start at $5 a month for a gigabyte of RAM, one CPU, 25 gigabytes of disk, and a terabyte of transfer. And they go all the way up to 32 CPUs with 192 gigabytes of RAM and ridiculous amounts of storage. But they also have CPU-optimized droplets. So if you only need a lot of CPU and you don't need that much RAM or disk, you can go for one of those. And if you want to add storage to any of these droplets, it's really easy with either object storage or block storage. You just attach however much you want to your droplet and start using it. And you can either start with a basic distro install and build it up to be exactly what you want, or if you want a quick shortcut, they've got loads of one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lamp Stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $100 credit, and start creating VMs with full root access all around the world. That's do.co slash LNL. Okay, let's move on to the predictions then. And first of all, the ones that we did last year. Now, that was before your time, Will and Graham. So um, we should, I suppose, breeze through the other two guys. So Jesse, his first one was that 2018 would be the year of snaps on the desktop. And in order to quantify that, he said that Audacity, Mumble, and Opera would all be snaps. And he gamed the system massively. Well, yeah, because Pipey and Wimpy just got to it and snapped them up straight away and so he got his point the bastard but um it was pretty obvious anyway that that would happen and we have seen good growth with snaps and we've seen a lot of big applications going there and 
Flatpak seems to be doing well as well, and I don't think it's necessarily a fight between them. I think it's fine for them both to be doing well, and unsurprisingly, that's the situation we're in, and I think 2019 is probably going to be a similar story. We're going to see a lot more stuff coming to both Flatpak and Snap. Mm. Uh, the second one was that there would be a good open-source voice assistant for Linux, um, and he should be able to use it to find the opening hours of a local shop. Well... Uh, and this didn't include Minecraft either. He said a good one. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's just not happened at all. That's just a mega fail of prediction, I'm afraid. We've seen massive growth with the others, haven't we? With um, the Amazon one and Apple's one and Google's one. They've gone from strength to strength. But in terms of open source, not looking, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, Amazon announced 100 million units had been sold of she who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah i don't i still don't get it at all i just don't understand why anyone would want to use these things it's just completely beyond me yeah, same and <laughs> i i'm not going to put one in my house to, to find out because it's fucking listening to you all the time what's wrong with people how else are you going to turn your heating on oh yeah maybe i could like actually get off my fucking ass and do it or something <laughs> it's not that hard is it but before anyone says, oh, your phone's listening, well, mine isn't because I've got all that shit disabled. So I don't know what is wrong with people. Like, it's it's like 1984. Like, you think that in that book, everyone who had the telescreen, do you think they were forced to have them? No, they probably sold them in fucking curries. <laughs> you know, and it just people are just walking into this. I don't know, I just probably shouldn't be ranting about this, but I just do not understand why anyone would want this. You just reminded me, I got 1984 as a Christmas present last year, and I've only read about 20 pages in. I should read more. Uh, spoiler. Oh, don't. Uh, they all have telescreens. Uh, oh, no point. Anyway, I, I would give it a go if it was open source and completely on my LAN, and I knew that, but I'm not going to give a go to any of these other ones. Thank you very much. They can get fucked. Um, right, so Ike's ones were... Um, the first one, a fundamental architectural weakness would be revealed in Windows across all verticals, and that included Azure and stuff. Uh, and he said it will shake it up and give Linux the upper hand. I don't think we've seen that, have we? Windows licensing? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, we've seen some really shit Windows 10 updates, but that's not an architectural weakness. That's just dodgy QA. So no, I'm afraid he doesn't get that one. Um and he said, we'll see a viable attempt at a gaming Linux system uh, that's not SteamOS-based and not the Atari thing. And this this machine would be geared for gaming from the ground up. Um, and we're not talking RetroPie and stuff like that. He's talking modern games. And I don't think we saw that, did we? What about the Switch? <laughs> yeah, I suppose technically. <laughs> <laughs> it was designed for games. It does run Linux. Yeah. And you can install Plasma on it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so fail him. You snuck a third one in, uh, and that was that Ike was going to get a visit from Gabe and his golden helicopter, and that Valve would stop offering the download binary and go with his Steam integration thing, which has not happened. Well, you say that, but Clear Linux, which we believe he is working on for Intel, now again, they are going to continue that work. So ha 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 ha. Yeah. But that's not Gabe and his golden helicopter, so you're not getting any points for that. Oh, that is the most scandalous outrage ever. <laughs> All right, well, your first proper one 
was there'd be so much backlash against the Intel management engine, etc., being closed, that they and AMD will open it up. And you said that AMD would be the first with their PSP. Yeah. And uh, Ike agreed, and I said that I wanted to see it, but uh, you're wrong. Um, and I, I wanted to be wrong about that, but no, no chance. And sure enough, you were completely fucking wrong. And I felt so left out with all the Meltdown Inspector patches because my processor was too old that I went out and bought a Ryzen only a few months ago. So now I too get to complain about all these patches. Yeah. But no, no PSP. No, no, it doesn't look like we're going to get any of that stuff. Although you never know. You never know. Um, all right, your second one was that the Software Freedom Law Center and the Software Freedom Conservancy fight would cause a schism between the Linux Foundation and non-Linux Foundation people. And you said a bit of the VMware lawsuit, etc. And I said at the time, well, that's already brewing, so you can't really have it as a prediction, but you did anyway. Um, I don't know, have we seen a schism? I don't think so. Yeah, maybe not really, unfortunately. Well, fortunately. <laughs> no, no more than already existed between the two of them. <laughs> yeah. I want other yeah. destruction just so I get a point. It's like the Palestinian People's Liberation Front. <laughs> Splitters. <laughs> um, all right, okay, so my first one was that UbiPorts would be the mobile operating system to watch. And I was talking about them looking to implement Snaps and Android apps with Anbox. And I said that they'd make Android apps work properly. Well, that has not really happened, unfortunately. Um, I spoke to Dalton from the project yesterday about this, and he said that the um, preview for Anbox is in the developer images, so it's it's available for testing, but it's not stable, and they don't really have an ETA for it being in the stable images anytime soon. So I can't really spin that as a win. I could try, but I don't think I'm going to get away with it. Not if I didn't get mine. <laughs> Which is a real shame because I, I do have high hopes for UbiPorts. The thing is that some like real-life stuff got in the way um, in 2018, um, which, I don't know, watch their Q&As if you want to find out more about that. I don't know how much is public and how much isn't, but, yeah, like some real-life stuff got in the way, and so that slowed them down. But now they're looking to um, go full steam ahead into 2019, so hopefully it'll be soon. I'm not going to make any predictions this episode about it, but I really want to see it happen. I think, I still think that if they make Android apps work, then they'll get the users and developers to come over there because it's going to mean that you've got loads of apps. I mean, that said, they are growing the number of apps on a weekly basis, it seems. But I think if they get this Android stuff working, then it's going to drive so much adoption because it would just mean that once they've got what's happened, you know, Facebook Messenger, all the stuff that people actually use, then maybe more people would be willing to give it a go. I don't think we'd ordinarily get you saying you want people to use WhatsApp and Facebook. <laughs> no, I want them to be able to use that if they want to. <laughs> yeah. That's the key thing here. My camera's an echo. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to use it, if you want to, you know, sleepwalk into <laughs> fucking dystopia, then good luck. But... uh not for me, thanks. But uh, well, here's hoping for uh, UB ports anyway in Ubuntu Touch. But that, um, yeah, didn't happen. So my next one, my second one, was met with derision, shall we say, when I said the word Bitcoin. Everyone went, "Oh, <laughs> fucking Bitcoin!" <laughs> uh, and I said that it would be worth under a thousand dollars because I'd said it would be worth a hundred thousand dollars on 
London Section News. So you got double wrong. Yeah, oh, so I, I thought I'd hedge my bets. And yeah, I was just completely fucking wrong because it was worth about 3000 or something. So yeah, that sucks. I was completely wrong. So I think I should probably stop predicting things about Bitcoin now. As Bitcoin finally died, can I stop being interested in thinking about looking into it? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I didn't look today how much it was worth, but it was... Um, 4000 for, so yeah, it's kind of rallied a bit from its low point. So it's a pyramid scheme. Wait, wait till it's worth a dollar, and then maybe you can start mining it <laughs> with your Nvidia. Oh no, you got an AMD card, uh, didn't you? AMD all the way. Yeah. Open the goddamn PSP. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, onto a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. The Patreon seems to kind of tick up very slowly, but surely every month. So remember that you can get uh, an advert-free feed if you support us to the tune of $5 or more on Patreon. So go to latenightlinux.com slash support if you want to find out more about that. And if you go to latenightlinux.com slash contact, there's various ways to get in touch with us there. And a quick FOSS Talk Live 2019 update. It's going to be on the 8th of June at the Harrison in King's Cross, London. Uh, it's now sold out, so you can't get any tickets anymore. Nice. Yeah, so it's definitely happening. We're going to have a full room. Now, if you have reserved a ticket and subsequently realize that you can't come because you've got to go to a wedding or something, then please do go back onto Eventbrite and cancel it so that then it, we know that that ticket has become available and if you are only finding out about this now and you want to come i didn't even say what it was it's um, a bunch of us linux podcasters doing live shows and having banter in a pub so you can still go it's in the downstairs of a pub and people who've got a ticket will be prioritized to get into that downstairs bit but the very worst case scenario is you come to a pub with a bunch of Linux nerds in it and get to talk about Linux and whatever. So obviously everyone in the world is welcome to come into that pub, anyone over 18 at least. But you might be able to come in and see some shows even if you don't have a ticket. And I'm sure some tickets will be returned. Um, so yeah, that's happening. I should be scared, but I'm not. It's such a kind of relaxing atmosphere in there everyone's so warm but as i know i'm not even nervous about going on stage anymore i was for the first one but i uh, haven't been subsequently so that should be good stuff anyway okay this episode is sponsored by entroware go to entroware.com and they are a dedicated linux computer seller based here in the uk and they ship computers with ubuntu and ubuntu mate 1804 and 1810 they've got a huge range of laptops and some desktops and servers and almost everything's configurable in terms of RAM and storage and CPUs. And recently, they've refreshed two of their products. One is the Ares, which is their 24-inch all-in-one machine, which looks really, really nice, ideal for saving space on your desk. And also the Apollo, which is their 14-inch Ultrabook, which I've spoken about before, and I'm really hoping to get my hands on soon. They have some more affordable machines which are suited to email and browsing and office tasks, but they go all the way up to real powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA graphics, which are ideal for 3D art and video editing, graphic design, machine learning. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do their very best to accommodate your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop down at checkout. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. 
So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right, so on to our predictions for 2019. Who wants to go first? <laughs> right, Graham, you're going first. Right, so I got told off for putting too many down on my list. Um, yeah, you need two, and they need to be at least Linux-y. So, okay, so I'll skip over the one that starts post-EU exit, the UK, and I'll skip over the one that starts Ecuador expunges Julian Assange, and I'll... <laughs> I won't mention that AI will be able to start deciphering what animals are saying to each other. <laughs> no, and you're not allowed your synth one either. <laughs> um, this this one actually, um, Valve leverages Proton to uh, test a game streaming platform. This came from this podcast, and I think it was it was I think it was part Will and part um, a listener who wrote in that came up with this idea. So it's not mine, but it's an idea that's really stayed with me. Um, with Proton, Valve have got a very powerful platform for you know delivering games from the cloud, which kind of is delivered on PlayStation and it's delivered on the Xbox. And there's some some PC gaming that does it, but it basically it's another way of Valve hedging their kind of future. Um, in games um, and being able to deliver games without necessarily having a powerful PC and a subscription service, of course, which is what everybody wants these days. Um, so I think it's a really good idea. I'm Valve. Valve time. It's famous. It takes you know epochs for anything to happen. Um, so I'm trying my best to say they're going to test it. They're going to be. We're going to be able to test something similar. Oh, so you're thinking sort of a beta test program, but not rolled out officially? Yeah, I think it's yeah. Um, and, that, you know, that's optimistic. But the fact that we can all play with um, Proton now, um, I think, means that there could be something if, you know, if something doesn't distract them, um, like VR. I mean, I love Steam VR. I wish they'd do more on it. Um, so the other one, it's these predictions are so difficult, and I'm, I'm useless at it. Um, Linux is going to get stronger and bigger, and I think KDE really at the moment is going from strength to strength, and it wouldn't surprise me um, if a distribution like uh, Debian makes it, like, the the main desktop. I'm just saying that, but that's not really my prediction. My prediction is that Adobe announces a Creative Suite for Linux because I think Adobe's got to do something. Hmm. Well, there was certainly a lot of demand for Premiere on their was it their forums. You can request hmm. Linux ports or whatever, and that just went absolutely bananas. But there's also I'm getting. I know quite a lot of people in the gaming and creative industry, and a lot of the kind of middleware stuff has moved to Linux. There's a lot of the, well, the web developers, for example, a lot of them are using Linux. And it, it would help the designers a great deal. And they can feel it too, the people that I speak to, if there was Creative Suite from their perspective, not from kind of our perspective as long-term Linux users, if they could just stay in the same environment. And Adobe must be feeling that pressure too. I think that they kind of are, but these companies move very slowly and they need to see that they're going to make some serious money straight away. They, they can't just release it and hope. And one of the big problems that Adobe see is this fragmentation on the Linux desktop, which, of course, that problem is solved by snaps. But it seems that they haven't quite got the memo on that yet. Um, I would imagine that they will find out a bit more about that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they started talking to Popey and Wimpy and Snap Team about this kind of thing this year. But I just can't 
see it rolling out, it takes such a long time. Not, not even the technicalities, which obviously take quite a lot of time, but all of the licensing and the legal bullshit takes just months and months and months and before you can even start working on the technicalities of it. And they would have to make sure it worked flawlessly. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to push it out. So hmm. I think that you're a year too early on this, at least, I think, maybe 2020. Yeah, I think that's a fair a fair point. So maybe I should have put alpha or beta in there for testing. Um, it's a good way for them to test the ground, and they they can specify you know specific distributions and configurations for people to play with if they want to. Will you're being silent on this, presumably with your insider knowledge? No, I have no insider knowledge on this. I would be absolutely thrilled to see some of these uh, gold standard content creation platforms coming to Linux. I think it could be a really good enabler for Linux on the desktop um, and to bring lots and lots of new users to Linux. I would dearly love to see this happen. I think fundamentally it's a problem of numbers. And even though a few hundred or maybe even a few thousand people make a big deal on, on Twitter about it, it's probably not enough. But we'll see. I would love to see it happen. Um, all right. So, Will, what is your first one then? My first prediction for the next year is that Microsoft will open source Outlook and possibly release a new browser for Linux. But I think, yeah, we're, we're pretty confident that they will release a new browser. Uh, it should, If it is based on Electron, then it should run on Linux. But whether it will or not, we shall see. But yeah, I don't know. I would, I would like to see Microsoft open sourcing something which used to be, you know, a key part of their overall desktop strategy but now has seen its uh, influence and, and necessity erode over the years with things like Gmail coming on stream and Office 360 and those kind of things. So maybe there's not much of a market in a closed source email app anymore. And they see the, the wisdom in open sourcing it and uh, we finally get a really A-grade email client on Linux. All right. Uh, what's your second one then, Will? Well, my second one is a bit more worrying for me, and that is that surge pricing will come to the public cloud for machines with IPv4 addresses. Um, it's been common knowledge now that IPv4 addresses are running out or indeed have run out. Um, and sooner or later, there are going to be so many machines being spun up on AWS for five minutes here and 10 minutes there that it's not going to be feasible to stand a machine up with an IPv4 address. I also believe that nobody really cares about IPv6, at least nobody over the age of about 40. And so people will steadfastly refuse to move their machines over to IPv6, and people like AWS will capitalize on that laziness and charge you more money. Hmm, sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, that's quite cunning. Yeah, you've probably given them ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe they'll give you a few quid for it. <laughs> Patent pending. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's go to you, Phelan, given that one of yours seems to be about this. You've got three. You need to pick. Uh, why do you always have three? I have to have three. It's got to be a, a non-real number or whatever that thing where it's divisible by something forever. I can't do maths. <laughs> all right, well, what's your Amazon one then? Right, so I reckon there will be a Amazon backlash. Um, you know, there's been a lot of news stories, even in mainstream news, of companies that are setting up markets on Amazon, now just the shop side of things, and then getting shafted by Amazon, looking at what they're selling, because they've got all the stats on it, and then going, oh, 
you know what, let's make Amazon versions of those things and then, you know, crushing the small competitors. And I can't see how they wouldn't do that with the data side of things too. And I strongly suspect that people will start to cotton onto that fact. And I think they might get burnt. Apart from the fact that they seem to have one of the most horrific internal employee setups going. So. Hmm. Could happen, I suppose. I don't know how you quantify it, but maybe slow down dramatically. I can't see, like, it's not going to stop within the next year. It's like, like no more AWS for anybody else, but I, there's got to be some impact to it, I think. Mm. All right. Well, that's kind of your 0.5 again, then. So, what's your first proper one? Hold on. Oh, geez, I don't know how to choose between what's from. Okay. I'd say uh, Ubuntu 19.10 will be fully snap tainerized, as uh, I have now decided to call it. Uh, similar to Project Atomic for Fedora, and I think it will be snaps all the way. There'll be a very, very minimal core, and everything else will be a snap. So it'll be desktop, any of the tools, you know, a server version and desktop. Right, we'll put him out of his misery on this. That's not happening by this year, is it? Um, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? I'll I'd- start chiseling them my one point already. I'm off to a meeting next week, so who knows? All things could change, but I push it. Push it. No, <laughs> I, the, the problem I have with this is that I think that the reason that people have used Linux systems historically is because they want that tinkerability um, over control over their machines, and everything being containerized like that, I think would not be appealing to the masses. It won't surprise you to hear that lots of people have have suggested doing this and it probably is the way that things will go ultimately i just i don't know i'm not convinced that the long gray beards of the linux world are ready for everything being separated from everything else it's a great idea in a consumer product in a server product but is it right for the tinkerers of this world i don't think so yeah i mean i don't fancy it but yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well uh a similar one to one of graham's then for your second prediction yeah, I think, uh, so I went with Steam Linux active daily users, not number of Steam users on Linux. The active users, I think, is going to triple as Proton takes effect. I say it's like 0.8 or something at the moment, so you think? Yeah, so that's why I didn't go for percentages, because, you know, if the number of Windows users goes up massively or drops massively, it messes with that. So, you know, if a couple of hundred thousand Windows users go away, it makes the percentage look better for Linux. So uh, that's why I said uh, actual numbers of the active users, um, according to Proton, well, I think will go up by three times. Well, that's nice and measurable, so uh, we'll see. So I have to keep playing GTA just to make sure I get that point. Yeah, I think you'd be right about that. I think you probably... Well, I said 5% outlandishly would be the, uh, the market share because I think that people are going to fuck off to other platforms people who are using windows are going to fuck off to other platforms because discord have got theirs uh the Fortnite people what they're called epic epic games that's the one they uh have got their own game store now and they, these two are undercutting steam so i think steam will adjust to that though because i think an awful lot of the other ones have been a bit rubbish yeah yeah and i think there's definitely got to be a sort of you know you can try and compete about it but unless you've got all that years of work on it i think they might win out that way and even if they drop it down by 
I don't know, like if they take what 30% now, 20%, you know, if they drop it down by by 5 or 10% on whatever they're on right now, I think that would make a huge difference. Yeah, well, I think that's a fairly safe prediction anyway, that you're going to get three times the number of uh, Linux users on Steam. Active users, active. Active users, yeah. Um, all right, so my first one is that we're going to see two new Raspberry Pis this year. One of them will be $35 and have two gigabytes of RAM. And another one, which will be $50 plus, so at least $50, because I think it's time for them to release one that's got really good specs, gigabit Ethernet and stuff, and just stop worrying about this $35 price point. But they will have one, a new one, that is at the $35 price point and will have, um, they'll change to a new system on a chip, and that will enable them to get more RAM. So I think two gigs of RAM. And I think as a kind of bonus prediction there, we will not see a Risk Five Pi this year. I'm not as pessimistic as you, Graham, but I think that uh, probably 2020 for that, but definitely not in 2019. So what do you think the market is for the $50 Pi? Is it a, a nod to the uh, hackers and tinkerers who have bought the presumably the majority of Pies over the last few years? Or is this um, uh, like a, a play for enterprise users or, or IoT devices? Or what do you think the, the appeal of this larger, more expensive device would be? I think a bit of everything, really. It's just a little bit too underpowered to perform a lot of different tasks. And it's going to be a much more pleasant desktop experience if it's 50 dollars plus you know if they can increase the amount of ram and everything and i think that okay in a lot of educational instances they are really cost conscious but then in sort of private schools and you know clubs that have got a little bit more money to spend that extra little bit isn't going to make a huge difference it's not going to stop them buying it but it's going to be so much better because just doubling that ram would just make such a massive difference and having a a faster system on a chip and faster networking and you know it opens up so many more possibilities for them if they can break through that 35 dollar barrier and eben was pretty clear when the three came out that they were not going to do that but that was a while ago now so that's why i think it'll change you might be right but at least a few years ago, Eben was. There's a story. Um, a story that Eben says that um, tells that when um, when they were just starting the Raspberry Pi Foundation, I think even before the first Pi, I think it must have been um, Eric Schmidt from Google. They met with Eric Schmidt, and they they told him about his plans, or Eben did. And I think now I'm doing this from memory. Eben said that they were thinking of charging. $50 or something. It was probably in the very formative stages. And Eric said to him, no, you've got to make it $1. And I think Eben had a kind of a um, a, a realisation at that point that he was right, that from his perspective and from the perspective of what the foundation was trying to do, that they should try and make the platform as cheap as possible. Um, and I, I still think they're on that kind of trip. I mean, I could see them augmenting it, but I think... For the for the for their primary focus to then become a kind of mid tier um, SOC that is is specifically aimed at tinkerers who need a, a media center that does more. I'm I don't think so. Yeah, well, that's why I think they'll definitely keep the thirty five dollar one around. But um, yeah, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there'll be a thirty five dollar Risk Five Pi this year, <laughs> and that'll be it. And I'll be completely wrong. But we'll see. My second one then, and the last prediction, is that Microsoft will not release a desktop Linux distro in 2019. 
And I spot the word desktop, so you think it'll be a server then? Well, they've already got that Azure thing with the IoT device. Uh, and so, yeah, they could potentially have a distro that is specific for Azure for containers or something like that. But um, people seem to be speculating about this Linux desktop and, you know, it'll be a Windows-like shell on Linux and, you know, it's potentially paving the way for a Linux future for Microsoft, but I'm just not having it, not yet, no chance. We could potentially maybe see some sort of remote desktop type situation, but um, no, not not having it, no Microsoft Linux distro in 2019. Now, of course, Microsoft could buy Canonical, huh. um, but that doesn't count. Uh, if they, if it's just Ubuntu, but uh, backed by Microsoft, then no, it doesn't count. I'm talking about a specific Microsoft Linux distro here. Right, so no doubt we're all completely wrong and we'll revisit this in a year's time. But uh, that'll probably do it for this episode then. So we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Bye.